Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? In one of her most famous lines, the poet Mary Oliver captures attention that every human faces. Uh, we're alive, we're here, but there's this, this intense feeling that we should do something with our life. As we talked about last week, we wanna embrace our humanness as we live in God's presence. And it seems that part of embracing includes doing something. Of course, it starts early. Uh, counselors and teachers ask you, what do you want to do when you grow up? Uh, when I was young, I thought to myself, hey, baseball looks like a fun job. I think I'll do that. Uh, how hard could it be? Uh, many strikeouts later, I pivoted to a new option. An astronaut looked intriguing. So I watched Apollo 13 a few times and I figured there's nothing to it. Just push some buttons, float around some, and try to figure out how to go to the bathroom in space. Uh, but through my, my numerous options, I realized there was a, a deeper voice, a deeper voice within me beyond the counselors and teachers, a voice that whispered, you are here for something more. You're here for a purpose. Of course, I'm not alone. Uh, I'm guessing you've heard a similar voice or message. In 2021, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics reported that over 47 million Americans voluntarily quit their jobs. The great resignation. Now, there are a lot of contributing fact factors to this, but, but one of the major themes was an awakening in people. A realization that they didn't want to work a job they, they didn't care about just to get a paycheck. They were looking for something else. What were they looking for? The Latin word uh, vacatio means a summons, an invitation, a bidding, or a calling. A calling is a beautiful concept because it means I didn't just choose a random job. Something higher and greater is bidding me and inviting me to something with purpose. In this series, we're, we're studying a human named David uh, who was called to be a king. So what does it mean to have a calling? Is this something every human being has or is it just for, for missionaries or genius artists or kings? And this is a vital topic because more than ever, people are desperate for purpose. Deep down, we are tired of numbing ourselves with entertainment or living for the American dream or working for the weekend. We want our lives to matter, to make a difference, uh, to have a purpose. We're desperate to find out what are we made to do. And the calling of David might give us a glimpse into these deep questions we have. So let's begin with the calling of Israel's first king, uh, King Saul. For, the, for years, the Israel's, uh, Israelites have been led by prophets and judges, but they started growing restless after seeing the kings that other nations had. Uh, we read this, but the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel and they said, no, but we are determined to have a king over us. 
so that we also may be like other nations and our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel had heard all the, the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and set a king over them. And this was noteworthy because up to this point, uh, Israel did have a king. It was Yahweh. It was God. He was the one who governed them and he fought their battles. Uh, but they insisted. And we see the calling of the first Israelite king. And there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. He had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There's not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. He stood head and shoulders above everyone else. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see the one whom the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, long live the king. It makes sense that Saul is chosen. He is head and shoulders above every, everybody else. No one like him. Uh, and this is what I think of when I think of someone who is called or chosen. Uh, the strongest, the tallest, the best. I mean, just think of uh, businesses or sports or our culture. The chosen are, are the smartest, the brightest, the most beautiful the ones uh, who get results or have charisma. This is the thing about, about calling. We've been conditioned uh, to evaluate people uh, by how beautiful or charming or smart or rich they are. And when we evaluate and compare ourselves to them, uh, what word do we use for us? The word just, just. She's got two degrees from Ivy League schools. I just have my bachelor's. He started his own company at age 25. I'm just a middle manager. She's gorgeous. I'm just basic. That influencer has millions of followers. I just have 100. I'm just this. I'm only that. As incredible as he was, Saul's kingship did not last. And it became time for a second calling. Uh, we see this, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? I've rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I've provided for myself a king among his sons. And so we return to the passage we read last week. Samuel goes to these sons to select God's chosen one. When they came, he looked at Eliab. And he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see how mortals see they look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So initially, Samuel sees Eliab, the oldest son, and he assumes this is the guy. He's seen this before. The last time a king was called, it was the biggest, the strongest, and the tallest. But God says no. Apparently, when God calls a person, he's less concerned with our modes of evaluation. 
Let's continue. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. In Hebrew, the word hakatan refers to the youngest, but it carries much deeper connotations of insignificance. He's, he's just the baby brother. He's just the one watching this, the sheep. But Samuel turns to the boy and he hears from God. The Lord says, rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. He was just the youngest. He was just a small boy. He was just a shepherd, but God looked beyond the just and into his heart. And he calls him. He chooses him. He anoints him. As we talked about last week, this isn't just a story about David. This is a story about you. A story about me. It's a story about the kind of humans God calls and chooses and anoints. Not only the magnificent and impressive humans, but those of us who are just. Often in the church, we've spoken of calling as only for certain people, called to special vocations. In high school, I attended this big Southern Baptist camp. And at the end of the worship services, there's there something called an altar call. Now, we don't have a lot of altar calls as uh, Presbyterians. Uh, we prefer our worship like we prefer our popsicles, frozen and stiff. I'll be here all night. Uh, during these altar calls, they would sing one of the, the classic Baptist hymns. Maybe something like this. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. It wasn't like a modern worship song with a couple of verses and then an infinitely repeated chorus. It had six verses and at the end of the last verse, if not enough people had come forward to the altar, the pastor would sort of motion the pianist and they'd do another verse. And I'd always be prepared to walk out and I realize, oh, oh, we're going again? Okay, I'll stay, we're going again. And people would walk up to the front, depending upon their call. Some would be called to receive Christ for the first time. Others would rededicate their life, which was kind of like a re-up, like this year I'll be different kind of thing. Uh, but the most intense call was a call to vocational ministry. It was the call. And one summer, for me, it happened. I felt the sacred call to ministry. I was shocked, though. For some reason, I, I didn't start receiving prophecies or start healing people or walking on water. I was, always, I was the same human uh, I had always been. Sometimes we separate the professional, religious experts from those who are just lay people. The ones with the cloth or those ordained are called to do ministry, but the, the rest are just lay people. But David 
was not called to the ministry. Yes, he, he was called to be the king, but he was not called or trained to be a priest. Yet his Psalms continue to minister to us to this day. And hopefully you picked up one of our Psalm books last week. If not, they're still available at all our campuses. He led his people in the worship of God. We see him communing and worshiping and ministering throughout his life. Hundreds of years after Jesus was gone and the church had begun to give a lot of authority to priests and ministers to the level in which they were taking advantage of the people and abusing their authority. And a man named Martin Luther came along and called for change. And reform. One of the main areas of change was a return to a concept called the priesthood of all believers. He dismissed the common view in that time that Christians were to be divided into two classes, spiritual and secular. He put forward the doctrine that all baptized Christians are priests and spiritual in the sight of God. Now, this is not an original concept from Luther. Uh, we see this in 1 Peter. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are not just a layperson. You aren't just a barista or just a stay-at-home mom, or just currently jobless, or just retired, or just a CFO, or just a facilities worker. You are called to be a priest, to minister and worship and love and serve wherever you are. Now, for me, one of the best examples in my life is, is my grandpa. Uh, he was a teacher and a coach and a superintendent. Uh, but after he retired, he, he began to rent out inexpensive homes uh, around town. Now, these are not Bay Area rentals where you pay $5,000 a month to live in a, a storage shed. Uh, these are inexpensive small homes in Oklahoma. Now, the people that rent these uh, places are not always the easiest tenants. Uh, often they are months late on the rents and take horrible care of the property. I worked with my grandpa uh, for a couple of summers, and when we would go in to clean a house, often the previous tenants had stolen things like ceiling fans or microwaves, or they left garbage in the home or had torn out parts of the drywall. And I observed my grandpa deal with these different folks, folks that have experienced harsh lives and don't fit all the normal socially acceptable behaviors. I didn't observe impatience or annoyance or anger or judgmentalism from him. It was actually the opposite. These people loved him because he was patient, kind, and gentle, and slow to anger. He was quick to listen and slow to speak. He was not obsessed with the money and he didn't judge these people because of their situations or behaviors. So he's, he's not just a landlord. He's not just a retiree. He's not just after some passive income. He's a priest 
he ushers in the kingdom of God, serving and ministering through soiled carpets and roof repairs and late night calls. See, you are not just anything. You are called to serve the king. You, my friend, like it or not, are a priest. Now, what does that mean and look like? Here are a couple observations and implications of you being a priest. First is this, your calling is more about character than competency. Your calling as a priest is more about character than competency. A couple of weeks ago, my son received his first trophy for T-ball. I know what you're thinking, kids these days, everybody receives a trophy just for participating, and you're right. Uh, But don't tell my son that, because after he received it, he was so proud, and he kept saying, I can't believe we actually won. I didn't have the heart to tell him that. At no point during the entire t-ball season did anyone keep score. But I'm proud of my son. He loves baseball, and honestly, he's pretty good. But as his father, do I care about this trophy or his accolades? Maybe a little. But what what do I actually care about? His heart. I know and love this kid to the core, and I care who he is becoming inside. Would I love if he started crushing home runs and eventually bought his dad, who taught him everything, a house? Sure. But in reality, I know trophies will come and go. He will succeed and fail. What I long for him is to grow in character, for his heart to be formed. See, mankind, mortals, look at the trophies, the job titles, the degrees, the investments, the vacation homes, the resumes. Humans look on the outward appearance. But what does God look at? God looks at the heart. This world is a kingdom of trophies and successes. But heaven is a kingdom of character and love. Uh, A random theologian that only I know about, Dallas Willard, uh, said a phrase that is one of my life mottos. The most important thing you get out of this life is not what you do, but who you become. Because we are all becoming something in our hearts. We are all being shaped and formed. And our work, whether at a job or at our home or at a school or if we're retired, is the primary place of spirituality. It's not here at a church building one hour a week. The primary place of our formation and becoming takes place in the day-to-day human activities and tasks and relationships. So, As a priest, some helpful questions to ask might be, what are my primary motivations in my current roles? To gain money? To gain status or the approval of others or to create a world of comfort? Where is my focus typically? On my task? Maybe on the judgment of others or is it on my heart and how I'm changing into the likeness 
of Jesus. Your calling is more about character than about competency. Now, the second implication of being a chosen priest is this. You are called to the present now, not the perfect future. The present now, not the perfect future. As a kid, uh, the thing I most felt called to was music. I sang and I played the guitar. and I dreamed of one day being in a famous rock band. And in high school, that, that dream looked like it was becoming a reality. Along with three other guys, we formed a Christian punk band called, wait for it, Dino Bread. <laughs> we wrote our own songs and we, we practiced a lot. We played big shows for dozens of fans and our parents. And we eventually recorded an album. Now, I want to give you today a treat. I don't let many people hear this, but I want to show you a short clip of one of our songs and we have to keep it in this room. It has to stay here and on YouTube. So check this out. That's right. That's right. You heard the profound lyrics correctly. Summer was made for rock and roll. Maybe it's not for you, but it's what we want to do. Now, it may come as a great shock, but Dino Bread never became a famous rock band. But my, my dream continued. I continued to write songs, created a couple other bands, uh, recorded a couple more albums. And all the while, I thought to myself, one day, when I become a successful musician, then I will be happy. Then I will be content. Then I will have achieved my purpose. Then I'll be who God made me to be. Does that sound familiar at all? When I get that role, then. When I get a fully remote job, then. When I finally retire, when I can afford a home in the Bay Area, when one of my startup ideas takes off, when I'm finally my own boss. So usually when we ask the question, what is my calling? We are referencing some perfect scenario that takes place in the future, a dream, a vision, but the problem is, what about now? Is God only calling you for the future? As after David's uh, anointing, it was another 20-ish years until he was king. So he receives this calling and then he immediately has to serve another king. He defeats Goliath in an epic battle, is still not king. He plays music for King Saul, still not king. He has to run away and hide from King Saul and even has an opportunity at one point to kill Saul and take his rightfully chosen place, but he doesn't. He waits. His calling wasn't just to a position of king. His calling was to serve the king. He didn't have to wait for a perfect future. He served God faithfully in the present. How about you? Where are you right now? 
maybe, maybe one day you will get the perfect job and everything will fall into place, maybe. But I'm guessing God has called you here in the present for a reason. Are you missing the everyday moments to be a priest because you're hoping for perfection in the future? What are the ways you can serve the king in your present role, your present life stage, your present relationships? You are called to the present now, not the perfect future. So where does Jesus fit into all this? Well, Jesus was called the Messiah. What does the word Messiah means? Uh, it means the anointed one, the one chosen to deliver and rescue the people. The Messiah was uh, widely thought to be the ultimate version of David, a conquering king coming from the lineage of David who would come back and restore Israel to prominence the true anointed and chosen king. And Jesus affirmed this anointing by quoting Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. But this king didn't do as, as expected. Instead of war, he brought peace. Instead of conquering enemies, he loved them. Instead of accumulating treasures and trophies, he had no material possessions. Instead of rising to power like a chosen king would be expected, he walked down the road to sacrifice. Normal kings demand people serve them because they are just, just mere humans. But this king, this king came to serve, not to be served. And he brought a new kingdom built on this sacrificial love and service. And he called humans. He called humans to come join him in this kingdom. Now, it is God who makes both of us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit on our hearts as a deposit. Anyone who takes up the call to be his disciple is anointed with the Holy Spirit. You are not just anything. You are called to serve the king. You are an anointed priest serving a high priest in his kingdom. This is your call. This is your purpose. Not a career built on competency or a perfect fantasy future, but to sacrifice your life, to serve the king, to bring his kingdom of love to a world in desperation. So tell me, what will you do with your one wild and precious life. I hope you respond to the invitation and call to follow a king in his kingdom. There's a voice whispering, there's something more. And the voice says, come, follow me. 
Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have called us, us average, normal people, not magnificent, not head and shoulders above everybody else, with our flaws, with our quirks. You look at us and you look to our hearts and you choose us. So Jesus, would you teach us how to live into this anointing? Jesus, would you teach us how to be priest for your kingdom everywhere we go? That's the, the emails that we send, the meetings that we're a part of, the day-to-day interactions we have with our neighbors. Every moment is a chance to lay down our own agenda, our own desires, to climb the ladder or to be successful and to serve you in your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.